0: Welcome, 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 welcome. If you're new, thank you so much. I'm on the road, yeah, I do this all the time. I go all across the country. No, I do go around to find best of the best, how they've made it to the top. But I never really take it out on the road and we are today in my hometown. We are at the Lake 85. It is just a great sports bar. The spirits, the beers, the drinks, the cocktails, the food. 18 TVs and we're just hanging at the lake. It's in Landsbrook, East Lake, Palm Harbor, Florida. We'll be doing this on Thursday nights. We tape it around seven o'clock. And uh, I'm looking forward to it, man. I I mean, it doesn't get any better than that to have your local watering hole actually have your place to stop. And my guest today, you know how I always do it, those that have made it to the top, in his profession, as a public relations director in the sports world, my man Rick Vaughn has been at the top and is still at the top. Spent 20 plus years with the Tampa Bay Devil Rays slash Tampa Bay Rays. Before that, he was with the Baltimore Orioles. He grew up in that area, so it meant so much to him when Camden Yards was starting the closing of Memorial Stadium. And before the Baltimore Orioles, the Washington Redskins in the NFL. He's also run the great Joe Madden, World Series champion Joe Madden. He's run his foundation and just just my friend and honored. And also lives in this area. We're hanging at the lake. The one the only Rick Fawn. Rick, how are you?
1: Rocco, thanks a lot for that introduction and thanks for inviting me. You know, this is really cool. This is our Our hometown bar here. Yeah, it's just kind
0: of hanging. You know, it's nice, isn't it?
1: It sure is. It's got a nice vibe tonight with a lightning game, sure.
0: Yeah, so we got the lightning game on. We're right at the end of the football season now, and it won't be that much longer before pitchers and catchers. You worked in the NFL, but you also worked many, many years in baseball. And anybody that I've ever talked to that works in baseball Spring training, man, never gets old. Does it ever?
1: It never does. It was always my favorite thing. It was always my favorite time of the year. I couldn't wait, uh, and then even you know, with the Orioles, we would go from Baltimore down here for spring training, and that was such a big deal for my family. We would pile in the car, take the kids with us. I'd get one day off, we'd stop at Disney, and then we'd head on down to Miami or Sarasota or St. Pete, wherever we were training. And it was like, I was so excited to go down every year. And then there's training camp in the NFL, which I, oh, trying to get through that was tough. You know, you're, it's a little different scene. You know what I mean? You're, you're, you know, my two years with the Redskins, we were in Carlisle, Pennsylvania, Dickinson College. And I was a rookie, so I didn't know what to bring, you know, to camp. Well, the one thing you needed to bring was an air conditioner from your for your room, which I didn't so it was a brutal you know it's in august in pennsylvania and it was oh
0: my god
1: the next year we were in cumberland maryland at Frostburg state university and i learned a little bit more from you know better from the first year but comparing spring training with training camp oh my gosh you can't get too too further on the spectrum than that
0: (laughs) all right so he's got so many stories and also obviously he is an accomplished author and if you've ever traveled to the Grapefruit League or spring training, you probably have come through St. Pete, Al Lang Stadium, the history. It's just unbelievable the amount of Hall of Famers that have come through. We're gonna hit on that. Now, um, what we're gonna do is, I, want, I always start off, like just, just a little bit of your background. I mean, sure. okay, you worked in the NFL. You worked in Major League Baseball for clubs. I mean, that's the top. Obviously, you didn't start there. And people would probably be surprised. Like, you went to college. You were a baseball pitcher in the D.C. area. George George Mason. George Mason, not George Washington, George Mason. Um, But was that your goal? when you were when you were in college that's always that part where you know sometimes you you know exactly what you want but so many times you're not quite sure what was it like for you when you were in college yeah then? you
1: know i went to college initially to go play baseball you know i went to george mason we played 56 games in the spring and 20 in the fall and that's what i wanted to do was play baseball and i was i'm in school after a couple of years i realized you know what you're a pretty decent college pitcher but you probably don't have what it takes to be a major league pitcher you know so I started focusing on, I was a health and physical education major, but after about two or three years, I'm like, I don't really think I wanna teach, but as part of my scholarship, I got a half a scholarship, and then I got what they called work study. I don't even know if they still have it, but they gave you a job on campus, you had to work for the money, but you got the money, and it was a regular job, and my job was in the sports information office. Okay. I I've never heard of the sports information office until I started working there, but the more I did it, it was a lot of writing. It was me it was PR. And the more I did it, the more I thought, no, this is what I think I want to do. So I went ahead and got my degree in health and physical education. I played baseball for four years and went and I was very lucky because when I started at George Mason, it was a student run sports information office. When I graduated, they went to Division One and they hired me full time. I was assistant S I D, but here wow, we go, right out of again, college. I got a job right Timing, head, right timing. Here. So it was, and, and let me tell you something, Rocco, my whole life has been t- good timing. I, I, I mean, that's that's what I owe a lot of my, my awesome. good fortune to is I was in the right place at the right time. So I was the assistant sports information director at George Mason, I went and worked a short hitch at Catholic University as their sports information director. And then I got the job at American University as their sports information director and Gary Williams Who's in the Hall of Fame now, and and most of the work that he did at Ohio State, BC, great basketball and, coach, uh, Maryland. He was our head coach, and Gary was very successful at, at that point. You know, I was working as the SID, and this was back when the when there were only 32 teams going to the tournament. We went to the NIT both years, which was saying nice, something, you know, nice. and um, so we had a really good little basketball program. Uh, I got again, fortunate. Um, the USFL came along and uh, I got the job as the PR director for the Washington Federals. I didn't realize we that. were no, really I do not even very, think I've ever known yeah, that. With we you. were really bad uh, both years. And, and, and in Washington in the spring, which is when the USFL played, it rains a lot. So we had most of our home games were were played in the rain. Uh, So, and we really weren't very good. We came and played the bandits down here a couple, both times, both years, lost both times. I
0: covered the New Jersey generals. Oh, I didn't know that. That was my first time. Trump. Oh yeah. Flutie. Yeah. Herschel
1: Herschel. Oh yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So well, I know we know, but oh we, my god, I didn't know that. our
1: our guy was Craig James. We, oh, we, we signed Craig James SMU. from SMU and that gave us some He's pretty good man. credibility, but he got hurt like in the third game of the year and was out the rest of the year and and uh, people lost interest pretty fast when we didn't win any money games and
0: But um, wait a minute. You're out, you're fresh out of college. You're already Yeah, hey, okay, it's not the NFL. But no, that was what did them in. They tried to outspend and be the NFL. But still, you were pulling big names from college. Look at the names that went there. And you're a young guy. You're already at that level. You weren't the public relations director, were you? I was
1: yeah oh I so was. you started out a pretty darn band. high it was i was a whole department
0: <laughs> oh, oh, oh,
1: oh! we didn't spend a lot of money after we spent what we spent on craig james so the rest of it was pretty low budget
0: but still uh, you're dealing with professional young guys but professional there's tv contracts there's tv like wow okay okay all right so you're so you're there now we, now and, where you going
1: and then um After two years, the team decided that they were going to move to Orlando, and I was not really, our family was pretty locked in in the the D.C. area at that time. We didn't have the mobility really to do much, uh, so we we didn't go with the team, Uh, and I was lucky enough that about five months later after the team left and I was out of work, uh the orioles assistant pr job opened up that was in the fall of 84 1984. wow and i was lucky enough to get the job awesome and it was the strangest thing rock i mean here i'm just a regular schmo right and then i get the job like the end of november and then in december 15th right around there we signed fred lynn who was one of my idols growing up center fielder from the red sox and the angels and all we signed fred lynn and Hank Peters, the general manager, comes down to my office and he goes, hey, uh, Fred Lynn's, we've signed him, he's yours. You do what you need to do with him. Do a press conference, we're bringing him in for 10 days. Give him a couple days to look for a house. The rest of the time, do whatever you want to do with him, PR wise, that was a different time back then. So here I am going to the airport and picking up Fred Lynn. And I wanted to call all my friends. I'm like, hey, Fred Lynn's in the passenger seat of my car. So this was- you know, That was like my second week on the job and I'm like, this is, um, you know, this is going to be this is this is my going to be my life. And I, I was so excited. And the, the flip side of that was I was still living in Virginia and the job was, of course, in Baltimore. So the first two years I drove 61 miles to work every day. Um, <laughs> See, you know, See? Uh, so you there was the, it's not yeah, always at the top. No, See, guys. No. Okay. But you know what? I loved, loved going it. to work every loved, day. Same. And I was, the whole time I was driving, I was thinking about what I was going to be doing that day and how I was going to do it. And I tried to be a sponge, you know. I, I was so, and another fortunate thing was to get to work with the Orioles. I mean, at that time in the mid 80s, they were still pretty well thought of, you know, 60s, 70s, 80s. The Orioles were pretty much, you know, how I, I started there as the demise kind of started. Gotcha. But it was, a, you know, it was still, it really felt like, you know, it's an overused term, uh, but it felt like a family, you know, it felt uh, everybody w- looked out for each other. We all wanted, because of the reputation of the Orioles in the community and in Major League Baseball, we worked so hard to please each other. I just wanted to do, I wanted to make them happy. Everybody yeah, I worked with and there, the players. It and meant something and, oh, it was to you, incredible. We didn't win much. Um, and in fact in nineteen eighty-eight, you may recall, we lost our first twenty-one games. Uh, and that was almost like a postseason experience because after we got to about twelve,
0: the media we had attention? every
1: national media outlet in the world was coming to cover our I never yeah, that makes sense. And so and, and the last uh, ten days of that we were on the road. We were in uh, Minnesota and Chicago the last two um, the last like eight games. And it was like it was a zoo. I mean, it was like here I am, and I was the assistant PR director, so I traveled with the team. The PR guy that my boss did not, but I did. You know, he didn't want to right. do all that travel. Right. Right. So it was a it what was an a zoo. It was a real zoo. Frank Robinson was our manager. Ooh. He took over for Cal Ripken Sr., who got fired after six He could games. be tough. He was very tough.
0: But if he if you were his guy, you know was what? he one of those that's, guys? That's exactly that he, that's right. What I figured, Let me tell you something.
1: He I, was. He I was afraid of him. Frank Robinson. At the beginning, because about. Frank was a tough, tough, he had a very tough yes. outer shell, yes. but I, you know, we got to know each other and over time, over time, he was one of my favorite people. You know, he and I got along very well. And I knew, you know, at, at first there was this one thing where we had a guy, a young kid with cancer in, and we were bringing him through our clubhouse to meet our players. And I was the guy who would do that. So I'm taking him around, introducing him to players and he calls me over where his office was a little was at the far end of the, of the clubhouse he calls me over and he goes don't bring don't bring him over to me and i was like what and he goes just don't bring him over to me so i didn't argue with him i was still afraid of him right so he meets all the players and you know had a great night except for not getting to meet frank so now like three or four months later we're on one of our caravans in the off season and we visit a children's hospital and we're visiting these kids in their hospital rooms and frank's on the caravan we go into one of the rooms and as we're coming out, Frank is crying, he's crying. He's tears rolling down his face and, I, and at that moment, it hit me why he didn't want to have that little boy come over to him because he would have lost it. You know, he was so much, uh, he loved kids so much we're and he didn't man. want those players, I think, to see him that Isn't way. Isn't that something? and not that something? So I learned to find that out, he was like exterior. such, he was so great with my daughters. He was like one of their best friends when they were at the ballpark, you know? He would always come and hang out with them and take care of them and make sure they had a good time. And he and I, I was really close with Frank the last uh, several years I was there, yeah,
0: yeah. Now, you also worked for the Washington Redskins and the owner, Jack Kent (laughs) Cook. And I know that was a very laughing, challenging. Cause it was, time. It's exactly what it was. Yeah. And what was that like? Here you are. You got a gig. You're young. You were married. Right. You can't. You can't. Like when it gets really bad. You. Hmm. You, you, you might. You don't want to quit.
1: Well, the Redskins and, were my team growing up. You know, so I thought, boy, here's a chance. You know, they called and said, you know. Would you like to be the director of public relations for the Redskins? The Come in, we want to talk Redskins. to you about it. I, it wasn't really much of an interview. And I took the job. Norv Turner was had just gotten the job as head coach. So I was there for his first two years. And I love Norv. Norv was oh, such that's a That's what good I would man. think.
0: Okay, that's great to hear. Such so a good I, was man. I,
1: I don't know that he was ever a real effective head coach. No, but no, he was a great, a great coordinator. coordinator. Yep, and I mean, you can ask Troy Aikman about Norv and he'll tell you a lot because Troy developed under Norv when Norv was there in Dallas so um i take the job and you know mr cook jack kent cook was if you were a fan you wanted jack kent cook to own your team because if they needed a player they just didn't get out go out and get a player like we needed a linebacker this is when i was a kid we got wilbur marshall you know we went out and got the very best we needed a wide receiver we got roy jefferson who was a six-time pro bowler from uh the steelers and so you go to work for mr cook you know he's not gonna stand for anything less than really good stuff. And you know, they were like a jewel, they, they were a jewel franchise, oh, you know, oh, for a yes, long, long yes, time. Yes, yes, yes. So I started there, it was uh, in 94, uh, and we weren't very good in 94 or 95, but my whole life was, was kind of, <laughs> it was Jack Ken Cook. He was just, you know, he was the just job, very demanding,
0: right, very yeah, demanding? the job,
1: my job was, you know, when Mr. Cook came out to Redskin Park for practice, he, his office was at his farm in Middleburg, which is about 30 minutes away. But when he came out to Redskin Park, he only dealt with three people. He dealt with North Turner, Charlie of the GM, and everything else was me. You. so, And that meant everything else. So I had many times where I was doing things that, you know, I wasn't really uh, proud to be doing for him, you know, um, uh, and I have a, a, a lot of stories there. Some of them are, I won't tell them all, but I mean, you know, he was, um, I, I'll tell one quick, please. I'll try to make this quick. Oh,
0: no, quick. no, no, uh, well, we, we
1: were trying, at the, at the time, we were trying to get a, the stadium built in Maryland. You know, we were playing at RFK, but Mr. Cook wanted uh, his own stadium in Maryland, which they eventually got. And so um, we were trying to do everything we could to curry favor with the state of Maryland. and. and um, so we had a, a shoe deal. The Redskins, like all the teams, have shoe deals, right? And our shoe deal with Converse was over, and we were getting Nike. So we had all these Converse shoes in redskin colors, and we had nothing. we didn't have anything to do with We didn't know what to do with them. I mean, there were like hundreds of these shoes. So I said to Mr. Cook's son, who was the team president, I said, why don't we give them to the school system in Prince George's County, Maryland, Beautiful. there where we're trying to build the ballpark? He Beautiful. Goes, That's a splendid idea. Would you do that? So I hooked it up, we got the shoes over there, we put a little note, in them. got a little note in the paper, you know, saying what the Redskins had done. Okay, so like a week goes by, and um, Mr. Cook, the, the team president, comes down by my office, he was going home, and he said, look, my father's coming out here tonight, When he does, you make sure you tell him that was your idea. Oh, good, good. And I'm like, hmm, I should have been a little suspicious of that. But anyway, so now Mr. Cook rolls up in his car about an hour later. He had some business at Redskin Park. And I had to go out and meet him every time he came to the parks. Open the car door and he looks at me and he goes, who owns this GD ball club? And I said, excuse me. He goes, who owns this GD ball club? And I said, well, you do, Mr. Cook. And he goes, well, then why are you giving away my shoes? And I mean, I almost uh, had a heart attack right there because I thought I was f- getting fired on the spot. I thought that the son had run that by the owner, right? You would think. Nope. And you know what? The next day, Mr. Cook came out to practice. I picked him up. I had to be at the car with a golf cart to take him down to practice.
0: You and so probably did not sleep.
1: Where I, I didn't. But we, so we're driving the golf would have been cart crapping. down. And I'm sitting next to him in the golf cart and he looks down at my shoes and he goes, well, those are nice shoes, Rick. Those are your shoes, aren't they? (laughs) And you know what? It showed that that he had a little bit of a sense
0: of humor. (laughs) He was doing it. But I gotta tell you every
1: time my phone rang for two years and let me just say this, there were like 25 of those stories that happened to me in the two years. I mean, there were just some really difficult things. He was very, very difficult to please and to work with and i mean when i left when the when the rays uh, when i found out about the rays job and i applied for the job and i got it we were moving from dc for the first time moving my family to florida which was kind of a big deal we had spent spring trainings down there but we had never lived down here but you know what i had such a weight lifted off of my shoulders when Isn't i It's that something how what the
0: stress when it takes it was away all, it was not i bet it good. was eating away at it was you you probably it was aging not good. and there this were and so
1: many things that he was right you know he was stomach. such an eccentric person I see There were so many things that I just didn't see coming I just never saw coming and it was yeah, a normal a person wouldn't react to certain things the way he did. And so every, you know, if my phone rang at night and it was Mr. coming from oh my Mr. God.
0: Cook, oh my god. I was
1: like, oh boy. He's not calling to tell me I did a great job on something. Oh my you know? god, oh my and god. There, but there were so many times when he when I was in positions like that, you know, um, that he had to, he, it had to be just right for him and you know, and he went to a hotel he was claustrophobic. So I had to make sure that I was there in the lobby when he got there. Nobody else was on the elevator. When we went up to his room he did not like darkness in his room you so are, all the lights had to be on you're kidding me no and then he had a certain wine that he liked and so we would take the wine my my assistants would wrap it up wrap them up in towels take them on the plane and we'd have the wine waiting for him chilled wine in his room <laughs> this is what happened whenever he traveled now he didn't travel that much either year but he was on a few trips and it was very very um, Did he
0: have a wife? Was his wife around much? Or? Uh, the wife was, uh, yeah, she,
1: she was around to- some and I had, you know, she was very young. Um, I see. I see. Mar- Marlena was her name. I and see. She was an issue at times too. Yeah, you know, there I were bet. times, uh, I remember there was a time when he, this was the kind of thing I would, I would deal with. He would say, he would call me and go, uh, Hey Rick, uh, Marlena needs to see a dentist. Can you can you set that up for her this afternoon? <laughs> she didn't have a dentist and so you know I would have to call like I'd call the closest one to Redskin Park. I remember calling i just called his dental office and i what said yeah i'm like i know this is really weird but you know who jack Ken cook is oh of course we know who he is well do you think you could get an appointment for his wife this afternoon you know and most of the time it would we would we could get it done because he could open some doors with that name and that happened like for haircuts and everything you know it was like that all the time you know or if he was coming out to practice what he'd want for lunch. You know, it was very specific what he would want oh, yeah. for lunch. Oh, yeah. and, it would and, and would
0: that be the number one priority for you that oh, day, absolutely. whatever it was?
1: Yeah, I mean, so I, I I, was there two years. I don't think I did very little time on <laughs> doing PR. It was all Mr. Cook's uh, ballet, you know? <laughs> and you know, the thing about it is, it's weird to say this, I would never want to be like, I would never want it to have been like him. But the, but you know what you had to respect the fact that he they won three Super Bowls. Got it done, you know. And he was he, in that respect, you know. You had to you kind of had to have respect for that. I didn't really respect, you know. I saw how his family reacted about around him. They didn't want to be around him, see, you know. And see was, that's, that's and telling so that right kind of made me a little uh, empathetic for him. I guess you know. I felt sa- sad that. He didn't really have that family around because they just didn't want him to be around. Him. I you see, could see why. I see. So, you know,
0: it's funny you bring that up because the late grade Jim McKean, he was a longtime uh, AL umpire. Loved then Jim. he was he the umpiring yeah. supervisor, lived here, would go to Rays games when the Rays were, you know, in the, in the infancy. He actually was umpiring at the end because i remember a spring training game over at the namoli complex and i remember whitney johnson who was a sports reporter for 620 wdae and i remember it was one of those scrimmages so it was really kind of low-key but there were fans that were all crowding around an early spring training type of scrimmage and he rang somebody up and it ended the inning and he looked down he goes how was that Whitney, what, did, did I call her right? Like, and, and, and But anyway, Jim McKean used to sit up in the top of the press box next to me or Whitney and we would tell stories. And he ended up needing like a quadruple bypass and he went over to Tampa, he was living in St. Pete and he told me that he got the recommendation through some of George Steinbrenner's cardiologists that would do it in Tampa. And he said that when he would go over there, And he would talk to the doctor and the surgeon and the surgeon saying god george george steinbrenner he never would make an appointment and he also would walk right through the the the, the room where (laughs) patients are waiting and go sit down he's like george you can't do that i'll call you when you're ready so i mean those that are in high positions, sometimes Uh, they can be like that although there are those that say that george is really he was pretty damn loyal now, again, right? Hard I think to work for, yeah. but very, very loyal. Yeah, yeah. I heard good and you know, you know what I mean. But you knew when I was a young, young, young reporter, going over I'm from Jersey but going over to Yankee Stadium, and I remember you would get there and it'd be like, Mr. Steinbrenner's coming. He's coming. And it was more sweeping, making sure everything was ready. A little similar, right? Right.
1: Well, and I remember when when we would play road games at Yankee Stadium and I would be in the offices. They were right behind the press box in old Yankee Stadium. The offices were. And I'd be in there giving them the game notes or something. And the word would come down. They had very vertical, very linear offices there. And the word would come down the line like... He's here. He's here, and I mean literally. You had people, you know, diving behind their desks. You know, they didn't want him to be seen, or they wanted to clean everything up. But it was amazing what it was like. The, the, the when he wasn't there and when he was there was so palpable, was unbelievable.
0: I want to continue on now. You getting this job with the Rays in the beginning of baseball, Major League Baseball here. However, I wanted to ask you: Was it true? I the George Steinbrenner, the New York Yankees, if you don't know, their spring training home is Tampa. It's been Tampa for a long time. It used to be, I remember, Fort Lauderdale. and But Tampa's been their home. And George Steinbrenner, from what I was told, you might know, you would think it would be the opposite way, was instrumental in helping Vince Namoli get the Tampa Bay Rays and the Rays being here. You wouldn't think so, With he's already got spring training here, all the Northerners and the Yankee fans come down. But is that true? I think he
1: was an ally. Yeah, I, 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 everything that I saw, now I came down in 96, they had gotten the team in 95 and- um, Oh, I was actually here before you. But everything that I saw, yeah, they got the team in March of 95, I started April of 96. When
0: we went to the Breakers, and it was yeah, the was, Arizona Diamondbacks, and yeah. we were there for the whole week. And we got in at nine seventy. You're not here I yet. I was not there. No. Okay. So we start the all sports station uh, in Tampa, WDAE, and Whitney Johnson, who I mentioned before, he he did the first week with me. First week because Brad J- James, who uh, uh, he passed since passed away, I, I did the morning show with him. But the first week of WDAE Radio in Tampa was Whitney and I. And we had a remote at the Hilton in St. Pete, which was right across from Al Lang Stadium. And George Steinbrenner was there, and Vince Namoli was there, and they both came on with me and Whitney. And I remember, the dynamic, and it was like, wow! I, you would think they would be enemies, but Vince DiMolena and Steinbrenner—it seemed like they were not. Well,
1: now, if I remember correctly, that actually—that what you're talking about—that you happened. Around? I was there okay, for good. that there because you go. that announcement was that we were officially going into the American League. Okay, oh, all right, And we were also submitting, which of course has not come to free fruition thirty years later. But we submitted uh, a bid for the All-Star Game, and so George came to that breakfast. That was another thing, like when he came into the room, I had my back to the door and we were in the ballroom there at the Hilton there and you could feel it, like there was something had just changed in the room and it was was George coming into the room. But he got up and he spoke very uh, positively about Vince and the Rays and about Tropicana Field getting an all-star game. He was endorsing that. So he was a very positive, that event he was very positive about us yeah yeah. we were very grateful that he did what what he did what he said
0: now you get the job thank god thank god it's always hard it hardly ever works out where you're desperate you gotta get out and get a job to get a really good gig that hardly ever happens but you get it you're starting from scratch it was an unbelievable oh my god it wasn't until i went and started reading again about when you went to cuba with yeah. the trip yeah when you went to japan uh being instrumental the world series the lowly raised devil raised last place to go to the world series you had so many up moments but you also again had to work for the late Vince Namoli who also was very very hard what was the experience like when you now leave Jack and Cook you're moving your family down and you know baseball but this is a whole new thing and you're working with Vince what was that like in the beginning
1: yeah it was it was you know I didn't really know Vince you know I didn't really know what he was like and but it didn't take long for me to kind of figure out what was going on you know Vince was the exactly right guy. To help get a team here, because he was like an end rusher. You know, he was not going to be stopped. He was a bull rusher. It's a good way to put it. So he was the right guy to have get this team. Wow! But he was not the right guy to run the team, and it became obvious to me after a few months. You know, I I'll never forget. I was driving to Sarasota to meet one of our because Vince was, at the beginning, Vince was like, get out and meet everybody you can. That's the first thing I want you to do. And I'm like, that makes sense. Of course, I will. And I was driving to Sarasota. I think I was meeting the sports editor of the Sarasota Herald Tribune for lunch, and I'm driving down 75, and all of a sudden on WDAE, here's Vince, and he's on the radio, and I'm like, holy crap. And he ripped in to whoever was on the air. It was in late morning, and this, I was many moons ago. It could, I don't know if it was Whitney or, maybe he was i don't know who it was but Sammy he was
0: Penner he was ripping be. who he, knows he
1: was crushing this guy and i'm like oh my god and, and here i lit, you are i Pedro pulled ended. over on 75 i pulled over on the shoulder of the road and i stopped and i as soon as he got off the air i called him on a cell phone and he answered to his credit and i said vince you can't do that i said if you're going to if you have a problem with something they said on the air call me let me handle it you can't do that anymore. And he was like, well, but you, you know what yeah, they said was wrong. Temper, I said, I temper, get, it. get that out And so for a good while, he would do that. And most of the time, it was stuff that was like he was off. He was wrong. You know, it was like, he's factually was wrong about something. And a lot of times he'd call me and I'd say, I'll take care of it Vince. And then I just let it go because I wasn't going to. I mean, it was it was way 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 out of focus, I guess you could say. Um, no, no,
0: no, but but you're you're coming off of Jack King Cook, and now right. you're dealing with this. Right. But you ended up being there 20 years and yeah. for a long time. So well, it you was know at what? a point for where, like, all, okay.
1: for all of his public, uh, you know, whatever you want to call it, Folk for pos, all, you know, yeah, he he actually was um, reasonable was, at times. He, he he could be reasonable maybe close to being reasonable most of the most of the time but I mean with me he was he was good with me you know like I'll never forget the first 4th of July I didn't go I went home as much as I could to Virginia because my wife and my girls were still up there and they didn't move down for about eight seven or eight months because of school and stuff so I was um, a lot of times I was here by myself and I was working on the 4th of July I was in there I didn't have anything else to do and I had so I was doing some work and he popped in the office and he said Hey, we're taking the boat out. Why don't you come with us? You know. So I mean, he had a side Indeed, that no, was a good He did have a little side. bit of a side. But the, to me, the whole thing was he was not he was not equipped you to handle right. that. No. Uh, he, that it, you you know. And I, I would say to him a lot of times, you know, you, you're in a fishbowl, Vince. You life. This is life in a fishbowl. This isn't you running anchor glass and nobody knows who you are. Everybody knows who you are. Everywhere you go, you're going to get looked at. You're going to get questioned. You can't do. You just can't. And he just, did, he couldn't do it. He just, he, he, he took everything personally, every single thing personally. And I, again, I have a million stories of things that Same, never saw like the Jack light of day. Cook. Some of them did see the light of day, unfortunately. Yes. But of mistakes that he made, because he just wasn't, he, he wasn't equipped to be that guy. He, yeah. he, he, he need, And one of the, I, I told him early on, after about six months, I said, you got to hire a pre- team president and let him do the day to day stuff. You can't do this. But he wouldn't. He He wouldn't do it. He. 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 I don't think we did that until way. I. I. don't even remember if we ever did it. But he wouldn't give up the control. He loved being in control. He would have had a hard time dealing because, like somebody like a Rick Dodge, would have been a perfect guy to have as the team president, and never. We never went that route, and he just didn't want to give up that control. You know.
0: Now, you were there and obviously there's the, the guys from Wall Street with Stu and the gang and they come in and they're behind the scenes watching and Andrew and, and Matt and this and that and this and that. But I believe the culture, the whole organization, the lowly devil raise and with, uh, there's no pay, you can spend like crazy and being a small market, I said in my lifetime, I'll never see the rays out of the cellar of the AL East. You were there for the turnaround with Joe Madden to go from the worst to the first. What was that experience like? I credit really Joe Madden for for changing this, am I wrong? No,
1: there's no question. The culture changed because of Joe. Andrew brought in some very Big pieces, you know. I remember saying to Andrew, Andrew "I'm Friedman. looking at our lineup, and I'm like, how are we going to score runs?" And he goes, "Rick, doesn't matter. It's how many runs we give up and how many we can score." And he was—he brought in the defensive analytics. He brought in the importance of defense. And where I love Chuck Lamar, who was our original GM, but we both but Chuck, love
0: Chuck Lamar. But
1: Chuck was a, was a lot about bringing in athletes. He wanted athletes, which is great. But athletes have to. They got it. It, does, it has to fit like a puzzle, right? I like mean, you've got to get. Show, you know, you have good, to, but but... you have to get pieces that complement each other. And Andrew did that, and Andrew, and so the pitchers, the pitchers were better because the defense was better, and so all of a sudden, our starting pitching was pretty good. And I don't know that they were actually throwing any better than they had before. But they had better defense behind them, and that really came into play. Boy, that's so, interesting. So, yeah, I think Andrew, as an architect, deserves a ton of credit. I'm glad you and that up. And then the culture is Joe. I mean, even it, when Joe started in 06 and 07, you know, we'd be, in the, we'd be in his office, you know, and he, he'd be like, we're going to make this place the pit. Nobody's going to sure. want to play us here. We'd be like, sure, Joe, anything you say, buddy. And he did it took him two years but he did it he did it by the third year nobody wanted to play us at home and it was and it was his positivity yeah you know, he's a very positive person he he also developed he built trust with the players and he did that by letting them be themselves he let them be themselves you know what i you're a man i'm gonna let you be yourself now you've got to be a man back to your teammates and you got to be a man back to me in this community but you're gonna you're gonna be able to You're gonna be able to express yourself here. And that trust, it was unbelievable. And then I'll never forget the first time we did uh, one of the dress-up trips. You know, Joe liked to do the theme dress trips. And the first time we did, I think we just did like hats. Everybody wore a hat, but I'm like, I'm thinking, I don't know these guys are gonna actually do this. You know what? Everybody did it. Everybody did it. And Joe did what he called his, his bulls. He had five guys that he called his bulls, guys in the clubhouse that were his guys and he would communicate with them pretty regularly. Interesting. And, you know, there was a Latin guy, uh, there was, Joe Peralta was the, was the pitcher and the Latin guy. You know, Longo was certainly one of those guys. Clearly when um, uh, Cliff Floyd came, he was one of those guys. But those were his bulls and those guys got everybody else to go along. Isn't that And then all of a sudden it was like, if you didn't do it, you were the only one. If you didn't dress up, you were an oddball. I mean, yeah. so when we did these dress up trips, everybody did it and nobody thought different you know they all like they all kind of got into it he
0: was so you know, ahead forefront I, i'll never forget
1: know. we were in toronto we were leaving <laughs> toronto and toronto we had just finished the series with them on a sunday we were leaving and they were leaving town too so they were going on their plane somewhere we were going on our and we that trip was the lightning trip so everybody could wear lightning gear because the lightning was in the playoffs or something. So our guys were wearing, you know, lightning beanies and hoodies and sweatpants. You know, all lightning gear, right? And we're in line and we looked looked like some, you know, pretty undisciplined group, right? (laughs) And here come the Blue Jays around the corner to their flight. And they were all wearing these three piece suits. and, And I remember thinking, those guys are either looking at us like we're a bunch of weirdos or they're going I, I wish, wish I was could over do there. That. I
0: wish isn't it? Y- you know what his point was? And mostly it's like that anymore and well, then it it's changed. And
1: now every a lot of
0: teams oh, every, not oh, just the baseball oh, everybody's doing it. Yeah. Joe was the forerunner to isn't that. Something.
1: And you know I think Joe's and Joe's reasoning about that was you know what when we travel we go a lot of times nobody even sees us. I
0: know his line. You know why do you have Is to a wear Is a shortstop going to impress? Right. Who? The 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 picture. Right.
1: That's right. That's we see each other. We're we're going. We're not going. No one sees us. We get off the plane, or we get off the bus Stare at the airport God. at eleven thirty at night. We get on the plane. We land at two in the morning. We get on the <laughs> bus. We get to the hotel. There's nobody in the hotel at three o'clock in the morning. So who are we trying to impress? I'd rather have the guys be comfortable when they're when they're traveling, and they and everybody was, they were themselves. Isn't they expressed themselves. You know. That is, I don't know if that's. I, I don't know if teams are still doing that. You know, the other thing. Oh, he no, did, I see a lot. The a other, lot of teams. Are doing and that. I hope it, it, it. really. You know, the other couple of things he did. One. One was we stopped taking, bat. After the All Star break, we never took BP batting practice out in a day game, never. And teams. I remember that was back in oh, the no. day when everybody, everybody took now, well. Back it's in changed. that day, everybody would, I mean, the other Adult PR guy score. would come up to me and go, you guys aren't hitting today? And I'm like, no, we never do on a day game. And Joe's reasoning was, they've been hitting since the middle of February. They don't need another hitting of, day of hitting, they need a day off their feet. And it was so smart and the players loved that. There was no eye wash of guys, you know, out there you know, going through the motions. No, we didn't do any of that. And now everybody does that. Exactly. You know, the other, last thing that we started doing and Joe fostered this with the players, was we did, after after every game that we won, home or road, we had a big celebration that looked like a high school team winning the state championship every time we won. And I mean it, and the players got behind it, we put up, we had a, um, a yeah, disco ball that they put up. The, if you wanted to bring in an instrument, you know, guys were bringing in some instruments, but everybody did something crazy, but it looked like we had, It looked like a high school team that had just won a state championship. they had so much fun doing that. And if you got caught in that every once in a while on the road, you know, I always tried to get, make sure I didn't go through the Uh, clubhouse to get sucked uh, into that celebration. uh, But every once in a while, I remember David Price grabbing me by the collar and pulling me into this big scrum and uh it wasn't my place i was the pr guy i wasn't a player didn't throw one pitch didn't get a foul ball or a base hit or anything else no
0: so i tried to avoid it but of i loved watching of it, it. Isn't it was that so cool? Cool. before we even move continue to move on i do want to mention and ask you about sweet lou Pinella. that was his nickname when he played baseball very fiery if you look up Video of you uh, of Lou You're gonna see him throwing bases, and he had that temper and that competitive spirit. He was one of my, and is to this day, one of my favorites. He was on the Rays at the back end, Devil Rays. Where they weren't able to spend, and it was hard, and he didn't want to wait. But oh my God, Lupo is one of my favorites. What was it like working with Lu? Yeah,
1: you know, I, I all the coaches, his coaching staff, always told me they're like, "Wait till we start winning. You're gonna have so much fun here." And we never won. You know, we had that one month. It was June of oh three or four where we went. Remember we went I like 30 and 10. Yeah, you yeah, know we yeah, were yeah. 18 games under 500 and we got over 500 which nobody had done that right. in this that whole century. Right. So we we did have a little success then but for the most part we didn't. And you know what Lou was I was actually worried for Lou's health uh the last year because it was weighing on him. It was weighing on him very hard, you know, he was he he couldn't he, he handle losing. It, very no. much.
0: No, he was such a winner. Yeah, he was. You know what? And he my, had these guys come from West Tampa. Well, and you know his some buddies, I, and then his yeah, son, oh, and they yeah. would stay in there. He yeah. he was. Yeah. he didn't want to. You go. know,
1: I I always thought that I and I don't mean this in any negative about Lou. Lou, if if, you, if he had the same talent you had, and you were playing Lou, he's going to beat you more than you're going to beat him because he's a really good game manager. He knows how to put players in. Uh, the right spot to win, he knows how to build a a roster. You know, he knew how to do that very well. He knew what he wanted about a roster, and tried to influence Chuck in that way. But I think where Lou Lou might have come up short was a young team and trying to have patience with that young team. He told me.
0: Yeah. He He goes, the guy that they're getting, he hasn't been a manager. He's taking the game because it's finally his shot. Me, with the guys in the front office, we gotta wait, and I don't have time to wait. I remember him saying that. Yeah, he,
1: he just, I, I I didn't even know that, but I, yeah. I don't think he had the patience for the young players. You know, I saw him, but I was worried about him because like he would come in like for a night game, you know, he'd come in like they you normally do, two thirty, three 3 o'clock, whatever. And he didn't look good to me. And I'd say, what's going on? He goes, I can't sleep. He goes, I, I'm up all night. I fall asleep about five o'clock. I get up, I get a little bowl of fruit, and then he goes, I sleep until maybe 11, and then I get up, and that's, that's my. It. And it, it, it. I was, I really was concerned about, it. maybe I was the only one, but I saw him every day, you know, road and home. But he was in so many ways, he was, he was, I, I loved him in so many yeah. ways. Yeah. He, He's you great. know why I loved him? Because he cared so much and he wanted to win so bad. How do you not love a guy like that? Right. You know, and he was. Right exactly who he who, what you saw was who he was that's lou there was nothing pretensive no pretension not nothing he was he was such an original guy And he, he, I, I, for me people that care that much i give him a wide berth so i always gave and i had my moments with lou oh, you know, I know. I've met. there were a couple times where lou and i would would uh no, I... you know and there were some nights when after a ball game that we lost and I would go into his office and say, uh, you know, remind him, hey, Lou, you know, the media is going to be in here in a couple minutes. We need to talk to the media. And he would, and there were some nights where he was like, a lot of times he'd go, I, I don't want to talk to him, you know. And then, so I would just walk away for a little while. Yep. And then I would come back and say, you know what, we really need to do this, Lou. And then there were some nights where he was so bad where I'm like, you know what, Skipper, you're right. Let's not, I'm going to tell him you're not available there you go. tonight. There you go. And because he was so good, They kind of the media sort of you know they gave him a little pass you know once in a while I didn't do it very often but there were certain times where I thought oh my gosh if he's out there in front of a mic it's going to be really bad I mean he was really down so
0: there are so many things that I I don't want to I could ask you I'm just you know oh my god we're already at forty (laughs) four I a couple of things though too and we will get to all this sure japan to me i was lucky enough as a media guy it never happens our boss was a big baseball fan elliot and that helped us out and so when the rays were going to play the new york yankees and also against the henshin tigers the Yamori giants it was a nice little series and good go to go there it was incredible and i remember going there and you we took a helicopter flight to a base uh, from America in outside of Tokyo right there. And I remember being on the tarmac and you looked over and you said, I can't believe I'm back here. I was here on another trip with the Major League Baseball All-Stars and I never thought that I would be back in Japan and here I am gonna go again. You went over two times. Yeah, I was, How about again, those Again, I was so
1: fortunate. In uh, 2002, I got to go over with the Major League All-Star team and as the PR guy, and it was, I can't tell you, it was phenomenal. And then two years later, we went over and played the Yankees in 04. So not only was I back, I was back pretty soon after the first trip, you know, it was only two years. It was, it was. um
0: It's incredible, it was, right? Uh, yeah,
1: it was gotta be one of my top. I have a couple of really top moments, but and, and this one was probably in my top three. Um, it was. Um, to see, first of all, the, the, the fans the way they That's were. That's what I was when, gonna ask, tell you Because know, When we went with the All-Star team, we played, we played like um, eight eight or nine games over there against the Japanese All-Star team. And so we traveled, we were in Tokyo for a few games, and then we went to like three or four different cities. And everywhere we went, I felt like this was like, what, what it must've like been like Beatles. to travel with the Rolling Stones or yeah. the Beatles. Because like when we left, after we played our last game there, and we were going to the airport, the streets were lined with people for like more than four or five miles. It was they like all the way to baseball the airport in yeah.
0: Japan. And American baseball—they know every single player. That—that's what he's he's talking about. Um, when you were over there, there was that. There was something else I was going to ask you because I remember when the plane, when we when we got to the hotel, oh my God, the, the Yankees were going to be coming later. They knew everybody they knew the tampa bay devil rays doug wechter was a kid from st Pete, <laughs> like a, a rookie or a second year and i remember there was somebody who had his picture and wanted to get signed and the experience and da, 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 da. but oh what were some of the names of the all-stars that major league baseball brought over oh yeah when I, I
1: went it was unique because first of all ichiro was back over there for the first time So that was a huge deal, of course. And then what even was really big was, this was when the Yankees were courting uh, Hideki Matsui. So the Yankees never, they would never send players over on that. Well, they sent Giambi and Bernie Williams went over on this one because they wanted those guys to make contact with Giambi. They wanted them to help through an interpreter kind of sell him on the Yankees. So So I had Yankees there. Barry Bonds was on that trip and in in uh, in japan the way they worked it was if uh, they had a they've set up a little studio right behind our dugout right right behind the dugout there was a studio and if a guy hit a home run or did something big they would want him they would want that player in the little studio (laughs) behind the dugout like what kind of what baseball's doing now with fox right but they were doing it back then in two thousand and two. So Barry Bonds, I'm like, you know, I was trying to get to know him through the practice rounds and stuff before we even, because we practiced at Dodger Stadium for a week before we flew over. So I was trying to get to know him and all, and it was pretty hard. Yeah. And then I'm thinking, I hope he doesn't do a whole lot so I don't have to deal right, with it. Right, 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 <laughs> First right. First time up, it's a home run. No,
0: no, no.
1: Swear. So he's sitting there and I'm like, and I see the Japanese producer, he's kind of like giving me a little wave, like, hey, we want to get married. So I went over to him, I sat down, he was toweling off, and, I, and he had been there before. And so okay. he like, he goes, I know what you need. Oh, I said, oh, do really? you? He said, yep, I'll be right there. And you know what, on the whole trip, he was pretty good i know everybody that? thought he was some kind of yeah, pariah yeah. or something he was really pretty
0: good awesome
1: so he was he was good so we had a, a we had a lot of stars real stars
0: um and then they just go nuts uh, right it was yeah
1: and i had art howe was our manager he was just getting he hadn't even managed the mets yet but he had just gotten named Mets manager so he was wearing the mets uniform over there and he hadn't (laughs) even managed the mets yet but what that meant was we had a ton of new york media with us so we had all these japanese media all these new york media so it was it was a lot of work and i loved every second of it you know awesome. it was so much fun to be in the, be a part of that culture and i got to take my wife sue with me and so she had a good time they set up all kinds of tours for us and i got to know bernie williams and people like that are just Salt so great people oh, bernie you can't talk nice enough about him and so we had so many uh, great experiences that and then we go back two years later and we're supposed to be the sacrificial lamb. And what happens? We beat the Yankees the first game. Tino hits a home run and, unbelievable. and we beat Messina, you so know, who's only in the Hall of Fame. So it was my, so neat. my experiences over there were yeah. unbelievable.
0: You went to Cuba with the Tampa Bay Rays had not, Major League Baseball, how long had it been? We went over in 2016
1: and nobody had been there since 1999. The Orioles played over there in 99.
0: What was the, what is it like in Cuba? What what is it really like? What can you you tell us, I wish
1: I could tell you, you know, a great description. Part of it was they were very protective of us. You know, like, we weren't taking any back roads to go anywhere, you know? I think they had some very, you know, pre, determined routes that we took to the ballpark for the workouts and back to the hotel. And we really, honestly, we were there, we came in on Sunday night. We practiced Monday. We had a bunch of community relations stuff that we did in the community, which was fun. And then we played Tuesday and we were out Tuesday night. Oh, Uh, okay. We had mechanical failure on our plane and we didn't even, uh, it's a whole nother story, but we didn't didn't actually get home. You know, Cuba's on like a 90-minute flight, right? Yeah, to Tampa. We got to the the airport at like eight o'clock that night. We didn't get home until seven o'clock in the morning. We sat on this plane in Cuba for like 10 hours because they didn't have the part. Then we had to wait for a crew. That's a whole different story. But I will tell you this. Yes. They, because uh, the, our Barack Obama was at the game, uh, Castro's brother was at the game. So they made, they told all of the fans, you have to be in your seat two hours before the game. And they were, and that there was not a seat to be had. And it was so great. They were so, it was, um, they were so appreciative of the major league players. And somebody had tipped me off and said, if you can, Bring, you know, bring baseball cards, oh, whatever. Bring anything you can right. for your players to right. throw in, you know, like baseball card packs yeah, yeah. or whatever, yeah. to throw into the stands for the kids and stuff. And we did, and the place went crazy. I mean, our players were throwing all the stuff, and the and the fan, the kids and the fans, and they were way into it. I mean, it was it was phenomenal. But uh, well, you, know, you we didn't, didn't, didn't
0: see a lot of it, though. You didn't see it in the streets and outside you of You know that. what? I see um, what you mean.
1: Cash and I, Kevin Cash okay. had yeah. to do uh, an ESPN thing and we did it in Old Havana. So he and I took a cab to Old Havana, wow. right in the middle of, and, and it was, I've got pictures that I cherish, you know, it's the, the old architecture and these old cars. That's the thing you've noticed the most. Yes, of course. These cars it from really the fifties like and that they're there. pristine. They all look like they just went off, got off the showroom. Wow. And it was, that part was so cool. Um, we we got to tour a tobacco factory and some things, but these were things that were very much
0: you yeah, know yeah, prepackaged yeah, yeah, for yeah, us. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Um, we weren't really. They didn't. They kind of discouraged us from going off on our own, which I totally understand that. You right, know? right, right. But right, it was right. a beautiful country. The fans were awesome. Uh, having the president there was really really special. Wow. Um, and our players really really. Really liked it. Was there a lot yeah. of
0: Secret Service for that one? Uh, or there was, was a pretty could, good
1: number. Yeah, so good, yeah. They, they, yeah. But really he was tell late. Barack, Barack Obama was late. The, the game got delayed. It was on ESPN, but it was delayed by like thirty minutes. they delayed know, it right. for the president. So we had to fill some time. You know, they, they were kind of doing like a sports center on the field. You know, while we were filling a little time. And um, so yeah, we. He came in and was and was out pretty. You know, as soon as the game was over, he was out. But he stayed for the whole game, if, as I remember correctly. Wow! And we beat them, which was fun. We beat their their teams. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. So yeah, that yeah. was really good. unbelievable, unbelievable. Just two last things, and I want to get to your book. Yeah. The, uh When the Rays went to the World Series, that was really incredible. Beating the Boston Red Sox, um, was that up one of your times up there, or was it maybe Wade Boggs' three thousandth hit? which uh, packed the place yeah. and he did it as a home run. I mean, yeah. what are your, well, like, of I, tops I for to the raises?
1: Well, I have to tell you one thing, and I should have said this earlier, but I think my the moment in my baseball career that was the number one moment for me was, believe it or not, was when we closed Memorial Stadium in Baltimore. And what we, you know, we here we're, you know, Baltimoreans loved Memorial Stadium. The Colts won there. The Orioles won there. They loved that place. It was not a great stadium, and it was in the middle of a neighborhood. Parking was always an issue, but people didn't care. It was their ballpark. So here now we're building Camden Yards closer to Washington, D.C. They, you know, the blue collar people weren't real crazy about that. So we really, when we... We knew once people saw Camden Yards, they were gonna fall in love with it because it was just perfect. You know, it was a perfect location, everything. It was the first retro ballpark. But we wanted to give Memorial Stadium the proper send off because we knew, we didn't want to neglect it. You know, it wasn't like, yeah, let's get out of here. Wait till you see where we're going. We thought, no, we need to do this right. So we brought back for the last game and we didn't tell anybody what we were doing. We just said, we did a bunch of stuff leading up to the end but we didn't tell them what we were doing the last day. No social media, nobody leaked it. But what we did was we brought back about 125 players, former Orioles. We put them in the uniforms that they wore and we didn't tell anyone. The game was over and we had just told people, stay in your seats. So, um, you know, we had had all of these players like in the auxiliary clubhouse, all these old timers and then our players had come off. We had lost to the Tigers and I told them all, I went in the clubhouse and I said, don't take your uniform off. Just stay where you are, because we didn't tell anybody what we're doing. It's awesome. So, now we, the game's over and we started to play the music from Field of Dreams. And what, what happens? The first thing they see, Brooks Robinson in uniform with his glove runs out to third base. 20 seconds, 30 seconds, 40 seconds later, Frank Robinson runs out to right field. Palmer runs out to the mound. Paul Blair to center field. Boog Powell to first base. It was, and we did not announce their names. We just had them, it was like, we wanted it to be like a dream, you know? And we got a little grief from a couple of people that said, you should have announced their names. And I was like, no, that would that would have offended these people in the stands. They didn't know it. They didn't need to be told who those players were. <laughs> so wow. it was, we really wanted it to make like a dream like dream sequence, right? So this is going on people, the players are going out. And like I said, we had 120 guys and it's people that, you know, players that had some sort of special feeling with the, you know, with the fans. So, so I'm in the tunnel. I'm the guy who's making sure everybody gets in line and we're, we're moving them along. And now I go into our clubhouse. Our players are in there. They're still in there. They want, they, we have it on TV. It's on TV, channel two, Baltimore, the NBC affiliate carried it. And our players are, they just want to go home. They don't know what, they don't get it. Right. But they, but They have it on TV. So I go in and I say, guys, we're getting ready. Here's what we're gonna do. And at that moment, the TV showed a close-up of Jim Palmer on the mound, and he was crying. And all of a sudden, our players, it was like somebody said, shut up, because nobody made a sound. And they started to realize that this was pretty big. And so we got them in line and they went out to their positions. And at the very end was, uh, oh, so like I'm going back and forth and I don't hear the crowd cheering or anything. I'm like, what the heck? Why aren't they cheering? So I poked my head out from the dugout, our third base dugout, and I was looking around. 50,000 people were crying.
0: Wow. They were crying. You've never, you've never, that's never happened before.
1: I, I, I Normally, I'm, I'm holding it together, but yeah, I gotta yeah, yeah. tell you, normally when I talk about it, I get emotional because it was unbelievable. And then the last part of it, we had Weaver, Earl Weaver was the last one to go out. So I'm standing with him, it's just him and me now. We're in, the, we're in the tunnel, right at the edge of the dugout, and we're just waiting for a second to have him go out. And he was, he, his head came up to about my shoulder. Yeah. You know, he was a little cuss. Yeah. And I looked down at him, and here's Earl Weaver crying. And I'm thinking, holy crap, nobody's gonna believe me when I tell him <laughs> Earl Weaver was crying. But that's that, um, the emotion, was, I'll never feel anything like that again. And That's we were awesome. fortunate because it was, it, there's not a lot of markets that you could do that with. No, no. Smaller market, very, very connected to the team, yeah. connected to the stadium. It was perfect. You know, and it, it, we, we, to this day, if you Google it, you'll see a story about it somewhere because it was, it's still kind of regarded as the best closing of a stadium because of the emotion that was so there, awesome. and it was the, so, awesome. so. anyway, so uh, awesome. going back to what you were talking about, the, yeah, the World Series was was phenomenal. You know, that was, um, again as as this thing started to f- started to get legs, we were I'm like, I think we're actually going to go to the postseason, you yeah, know, yeah, and then amazing. we get air, and those young kids, Longoria and yeah, those yeah. guys, they weren't the least bit afraid. Longo hit like two home runs in his first postseason game, you know, against the White Sox in the in the division series. These kids, and our guys kid. were like
0: BJ, BJ
1: kids. Shields, all of them, Price, none of them. They did. They were like, they were completely not upset about it. Isn't any that of awesome? Stuff, you know, and it was such a pleasure to watch them. And the thing that I'll never forget, and it's on tape, so you can see it. But when we got the last out to beat the the Red Sox Second base in the LCS is to watch Crawford, Carl Crawford and BJ run in from the outfield and they throw their gloves and they throw their hat and it's like watching Men turn into little leaguers, that's and awesome. it was like it. I when I watch it, I, I get choked up. I'm like, Holy cow, that that's great? exactly what happened!
0: It's awesome! So, it's awesome. anyway, you've had, you've had so many experiences. I was so lucky, yeah. So, I had many. to tell
1: the Memorial Stadium oh story god. because it oh was my god, it was a great thing to be a part of. Uh, so anyway,
0: now if you are a baseball fan, doesn't matter if you're a Rays fan, a Red Sox fan, a Yankees fan, a Dodgers fan, whatever with baseball, the history of baseball, and 100 years of baseball on St. Petersburg's waterfront, how the game helped shape a city. You did a lot of research, and as you were going along, you probably thought you knew, all there was to know about Al Lang and St. Pete and found out so much more. Just, just real briefly, just incredible history, man, huh?
1: Yeah, you know, I was a PR director for the for the Orioles there for a while, and we trained, we trained, we, we played some games here when the, when the Orioles trained here in St. Pete. So here I'd been there with the Orioles, then I get the Rays job, and I'm training there with the Rays, and I thought I knew the history of that place. Heck no, I didn't know anything. You know, and I started researching it. I I honestly did not set out to write a book. I had been down to St. Pete, and I just happened to notice one day when I was down there that the name Al Lang Stadium is not visible on the outside of the stadium. They've covered it up. I'm like, that's not right. So I actually got an appointment to meet with a member of the city council, and it was during COVID, and I said, how about if we try to do something to be, do a better job of memorializing the history down there? I said, the name's not even on the stadium. And the guy that I met with said, I love your idea. Here's my email. Here's my cell number. Will you lead the, will you do the research and stuff and start and give us some ideas? I said, sure. So I started working on it. I sent him a couple ideas. Know, that's nothing. how it started. Call his cell phone, nothing. Send him a note. Nothing, never heard from him again. Still to this day, this guy never got back to me. Still a member of the city council, by the way, I won't mention his name, but never heard back from him. But meanwhile, I'd done a lot of some research and now I'm kind of getting discouraged because it looks like nothing's gonna come out of this. This is like maybe six weeks after I'd started it. And then Sue, my wife was like, why don't you write a book? and I thought I don't really have the energy to do it but I did and I was so it was so much fun to do this and to uncover the stuff and then realize that there was actually a story here and the story is that it was baseball that really took St. Pete from being this sleepy little fishing village in the you know pre-1920 to a huge tourist destination at one point you know we they started setting tourist records in the 20s when the Yankees came in um, it became a huge. It was a tourism, and and, and Al Lang, who became the man, ended up becoming the mayor. And he came down. That's the stadium's named after him. He came down from Pittsburgh. He was smart enough to realize tourism's going to be the thing here, and baseball's going to carry it. And that's exactly what happened. I mean, you had, it's and and they, the the they got the Boston Braves to come in in 1922 to train down on the waterfront there, where out near where Al Lang is now. And then the Yankees came in in 1925. And the Yankee writers, the New York writers, used to always joke that St. Pete was discovered in 1925.
0: You know, Isn't which, that and, great?
1: And it just really took off you know, from there. And then even I, I found a uh, historian that sort of, his opinion was that even during the depression, the fact that we had Boston and New York Two of the three largest yes. media markets in the country at the time were training here. It helped St. Pete probably come out of the depression a little earlier Isn't that something? than had they not, because you had moneyed people down here wow. that were not in any other parts of Florida. So we, you know, St. Pete probably came out of the depression sooner than other cities in the state, and it was because uh, baseball was there. And then the role that it played in the civil rights. You know, I mean, Jackie Robinson breaks the color barrier in 1947. But Jim Crow was still pretty, you know, pervasive down here in Florida. And so players up until into the 60s, African-American players weren't staying with their white teammates. They were staying at separate places. And St. Pete, because it was kind of considered sort of the spring training baseball capital, St. Pete became kind of a lightning rod. Some of the Cardinal players were outspoken. Bill White, who went on to become and I got to talk to him for the book. He was one of the guys who spoke up and said, this isn't right, and there was a number of things that happened in St. Petersburg that got that to change. Where teams like home? the Yankees actually they finally they stayed till 1961, and they actually left. One of the reasons, not the only reason, but they actually left at Fort Lauderdale because they could find segregated hotels in Fort Lauderdale that were not available here. There was a hotel, the Yankee they Clipper, never, they of they all hotels, that. and they stayed there. And that's what started to happen. Finally, the Mets found a, a found a hotel that would allow that all the players to be under one roof and the cardinals found a hotel that could and so st pete played a pretty big role as far as baseball goes and then of course 1964 the civil rights you know bill was passed things were still way from being perfect but at least St. Pete played a role in, in baseball, kind of trying to catch up a little bit here. Unbelievable. You know? yeah. Unbelievable. So all of that history was so much fun to uncover. and I, the, I, I There's got so to many to
0: pi- the pictures, too. Oh, my God. Even if you don't read yeah, and yeah. just the research, it is incredible. Again, the book is 100 Years of Baseball on St. Petersburg's Waterfront, How the Game Helped Shape a City. Rick Vaughn and the forward by Tim Kirkjian of ESPN, <laughs> your good buddy. I mentioned you and to do the podcast uh, this baseball season and uh, uh, the big smile. And he really is something else. Good, yeah, good he luck, is. He is.
1: And then I do have a second book coming out, um, and it's basically kind of the companion piece to this for Tampa. Yeah, you know it didn't quite have the same story it didn't have the same story as saint pete i mean two cities pretty close together very different histories and that included baseball you know uh, tampa's baseball history started in the 19th century with the with cigars you know the cigar factories in Ybor. so the the passion for baseball in that city has always been great the the issue was that they had spring training there, but it wasn't a tourist town, and, you know, so the, the attendance numbers were not gonna be what they were in St. Pete, but that didn't mean that they didn't love the game. And and, and really, Tampa started in 19, they they started uh, spring training in 1913 with the Chicago Cubs, and they still are hosting spring training with the Yankees here now. So think about it. That's a long time to do it and to do it pretty well. And during those years in the 20s and the 30s and the 40s, Tampa was, Tampa had a lot going on baseball-wise. It was a great baseball city for baseball people because of its location. Scouts stayed. That's where all the scouts stayed. It's where the media stayed. Uh, We had great players come through here. But it was like, you know, and the restaurants were, were, you know, top-notch. So Tampa was kind of under the radar, really, when it came to it. It didn't compare well to St. Pete because they had the Yankees and the Cardinals there for many years, and Tampa had the Reds. And I I looked it up between, this is kind of interesting, between 1926 and 1961, St. Pete, between the Cardinals and Yankees, they had 19 world champions trained in St. Pete. Tampa, during that same time, had one. So the Reds, uh, the Reds in the 50s, I can't remember what year it was, but anyway, so there is a story to be told, and, and uh, that book will come out on March 11th. I'm very excited about what,
0: it. Do, do you, is her name uh, yet? Uh, or it's, you're it's, not it's, sure yet. I'm still going I'll back let everybody and forth with the publisher. Know.
1: But people like... Wade Boggs and Tino Martinez, and, and so many other people, were very helpful in giving me their memories of playing at Al Lopez Field. Oh. And there was not too many people around that played at Plant Field, but sure. I got some really good stories, oh. I think, that are in there. Oh. So this is another oh. breezy, fun read. Oh, we're not going to learn. You know, this is yeah, a yeah, worn yeah. piece. Yeah, yeah. This is a fun baseball. You, book. you need that. You yeah, need it's that. It's a fun baseball. He's Rick
0: book. Vaughn, such a good man, here at the Lake 85 up in Palm Harbor landsbrook and i can't thank you enough everything for everything you've always done how you've been everyone you're just good to deal with you're sharp the whole kit and caboodle rick vaughn thank you buddy
1: so good to see you again rock thank you buddy. thank you man
0: all right yeah now 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 we got a little long-winded because rick had such good stories but he is such a good man and just incredible experiences, and so I figured, you know what, man? We're here in this neighborhood in Landsbrook. It's in the uh, East Lake area, the Lake 85, and I'm like, you know what? He, you know what, His stories are incredible. And as soon as I texted him, I said, I'm gonna be over at the lake. He's like, bam, I'm in. I said, great, great. So he came over, and we just hung, and it was great. So uh, we're here now at Super Bowl. And if I've mentioned I am going to Vegas and I am set to be there for the whole week on media row, radio row. I'm gonna load it up with guests. We got the confirmation, I got everything set. I got a hotel. The recommendation that I got it from, the guy is a little bit sketchy and it was very inexpensive so we'll see how that's gonna go. But other than that, it should be unbelievable. And here we are now, here we are at the Super Bowl. Uh, So what we're gonna try doing is, we're gonna see how it goes, man. For the next couple of Thursdays, if you're in the Tampa Bay area, it's called the Lake, the Lake 85. It's upper Pinellas County. Those that live in Pinellas County know about it, but it's called the Lake. I'm gonna be here around seven o'clock if you if you want to actually get on the podcast, I'm going to see how it's going to go. I might be bringing in some guests here. I might be out in the field as I usually do and tape them, but I'll have time here and we can hang. We can drink beers, they got the cocktails. The food is great. 18 TVs. Different days they've got bands, they've got uh, different events that they have here. But the bottom line is, if you want to come out, you want to, you want to come out, you want to hang with me, come out here Thursday nights. Thursday nights, 7 o'clock. We'll even do an Ask the Rock. You know, unless you're going to, you know, we'll, we'll set some parameters. But if you want to ask me a question or two, I'm always getting people, hey, man, hey, where, where are you going to be? Or this and that. I'm going to be at the lake, in East Lake, Lake 85, every Thursday night, 7 o'clock. Come on out and we'll hang out what do you say? All right, let's do it. Maybe we'll turn into a party podcast. All right. Listen, I thank you very, very much. I thank Rick and I'll talk to you next Thursday at the lake here in Palm Harbor. Let's do it.